as we have these moments in our world of chaos and uncertainty and tragedy, sometimes they can be good reminders for us to just pause for a moment, uh, to remember what's actually important in this world. And for me, uh, I've had many moments in my life where I've had to pause and just reassess what actually is important. As we continue this Voice of Hope series, Marty asked me if I may be willing to tell you my story. Uh, my story is one that definitely requires someone being reoriented. My story is one of someone who walked away from God, and God uses people in the most incredible ways to bring me back to him, and seven years ago to bring me here to you. And so I want to tell you my story, but I got to say, I've preached a number of sermons, and I have never been so anxious as to tell one of these things before. And here's what here's, I think I'm anxious about. I, I don't want you to walk out of here today knowing more about me. I actually think that would be a pointless exercise for us all. What I would love for you to be able to walk out of here today is to understand one simple truth, and that is that God, from the very beginning of time when he created us, he has determined to use his people to disrupt our stories and to bring us into his story. That is how God works. He disrupts our stories and he brings us into his story. I want to start this off by a quick passage from a book called The Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. And just to give you some context on this book for a moment, because it's a weird little book. Uh, the context, if you've read it before, it's a series of letters. Uh, letters written from a senior demon who's in hell named Screwtape. And he is writing letters to his nephew, who is a junior demon named Wormwood. And he's giving him these instructions, because Wormwood has been given the task of tempting his very first Christian away from the faith. And so the senior demon has given him instructions on how to do that. And one of the letters, he tells this young demon, he goes, hey, don't worry so much about all these grand plans of sin and wickedness that you have in mind. That's actually not the most effective way to lure the young Christian away from God. Let me read this to you. He says, you will say that these are very small sins and doubtless, like all young tempters, you are anxious to be able to report spectacular wickedness. But do remember... The only thing that matters is the extent to which you separate the man from the enemy. By the way, if you go and pick this book up, the enemy is God. It'll, just, it'll clear up some confusion for you. It does not matter how small the sins are, provided that their cumulative effect is to edge the man away from the light and out into the nothing. Murder is no better than cards if cards can do the trick. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. This is how I walked away from God. I had professed my faith uh, as a child in a, a small Baptist church in Kentucky. Uh, faith was a very critical part of my life. All through high school, faith was a critical part of my life. I had everything going for me. When I got to Deer Creek High School here in Oklahoma, I started dating this really good-looking girl named Kimberly Miles that most of you know as Kimberly Baston today. I think I've got a picture uh, to show you all. Uh, that is me rocking the white tux to senior prom. <laughs> that is also, coincidentally, the last time I ever dressed myself. So, <laughs> that, is, that is Kim and I chaperoning Crossings Christian School prom a few years ago. Uh, but I had this great girlfriend, I was committed to my faith, and then I looked up 10 plus years later and I had left God completely. And it didn't occur from the things that we might expect. I didn't go to college and start partying, never did that. 
Uh, I didn't have a professor who convinced me that my faith wasn't legit. That never happened. Uh, I fell symptom to, to the probably most common issue we all tend to have. I got very busy and I got very successful. You see, as soon as I got to college, uh, I really wanted to make money. And so I got through college as fast as I could. I graduated with two majors in less than three years while working almost full-time hours all the way through college. You may ask, well, how do you do that? You work on Sundays, that's how you do that. I started quitting going to church all through college so that I could work. Whenever I uh, got out of college, I got hired to go into the energy business in Houston, uh, moved down to Houston, and things went really well. Uh, I always tell people, as my career went this way, my faith went this way. For the engineers in the room, that's inverse correlation. So, yeah, see, there's a few of you, yeah. My career went really well. I did well. I got promoted a lot. By, by my mid-20s, I was a senior manager in our organization. My company paid for me to go get my MBA from Rice University. Uh, I got tapped to be in the executive leadership program, I mean, like, Things were going great. I was climbing that corporate ladder at the fastest possible clip. I got really busy and I got really successful. And I always had a really good excuse as to why I couldn't go to church, a really good excuse as to why I couldn't spend time with God's people. And, and maybe the thing I want you to hear is that never in that time did I ever say, I quit believing in God or I am no longer following Christ. But after that series of time, I can honestly say that I got to the end of it and I was not following Christ. If you look at good fruit and bad fruit defines you, there was no good fruit on my tree whatsoever. I was not following Christ. This all came to a head one night and I asked Marty if he wanted me to tell you this part of the story and he was insistent that I do. But it all came to a head one night. I was doing something that was not uncommon for me at the time. Uh, I was sitting outside on my driveway drinking with my neighbors. And as I remember that night vividly because as the night went on longer and longer, I just remember the things I was saying becoming more and more vile and just more and more out of character. And it just, it wasn't good. I walked inside that night and I remember my wife greeted me at the door and I've never seen her so disgusted with me. And she looked at me and she said, who are you? Who are you? This is not the man I married. This is not the man that you promised me you would be. Who have you become? Has anyone had that conversation with their spouse before? I was not happy with her that night. I was not happy with her at all. How dare she, right? How dare she tell me that I wasn't doing everything right? I was doing well. I was making a lot of money for our family. I was providing well for our kids. I was spending all of my free time with our two little twin infants that we just had. I wasn't going out and spending time at the bars or at the golf course. I was spending time with them. I was doing everything right. How dare she say that to me? So we went to bed angry and we woke up angry. And the next morning, we woke up and we did the thing that everyone tends to do on that Sunday morning. We went to church because it was Easter Sunday. We went to church at a church that I have never been to before in my life. And it was an outdoor Easter service in Houston, Texas. Now, if anyone's lived in Houston before, 
you know that Houston is normally like 185% humidity and always hot. Houston is a great proxy for what hell must be like. <laughs> and some pastor thought it was a great idea to have an outdoor Easter service. We went to this outdoor Easter service and I remember sitting there looking at my wife and my kids as we were supposed to be worshiping the resurrected Savior and I have never been more miserable in my life because I was hungover. I had a headache and I was nauseous and I was so utterly ashamed of myself. And I realized in that moment that that is who I was. Kim asked me, who have you become? That, the way I felt that day, that was the condition of my soul. I had just been fooling myself that I was this good Christian man. I wasn't. I was far from God. I did not know God. And in that moment, I repented. I knew that I needed God. I'd spent 10 years wandering away from the church and God's people, and God gives us this warning he gives us this warning in Hebrews 10, chapter, uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 through 25. He says, let's hold firmly to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promises faithful. And let's consider how to encourage one another in love and good deeds, not abandoning our own meeting together as is the habit of some people, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. What I had found is that as I abandoned God's people, as I abandoned the church, I also abandoned God. And so in that time of repenting, I knew that I needed God. I knew I needed something, uh, but I also figured, you know, I, was, I, was, I did not lack any self-confidence at the time. And so I figured, you know, I knew a lot about Christianity. I could just, you know, graduate to the advanced course in all of this. So instead of going to church and going and being with God's people, what I did is I went online and I bought the most highly rated systematic theology textbook I could find and I started reading it cover to cover. This is not what God wanted me to do. God sent me what he wanted me to do. He sent me who I actually needed. God's taught me that his ways are not my ways and his thoughts are not my thoughts. One day my wife came home and she goes, hey Blake, you've been talking about church and stuff? And I go, yeah. She goes, I've enrolled you in a women's Bible study. <laughs> now, needless to say, I had a fundamental objection to this. But she goes, nope, I've already thought about it. I've enrolled you in this Bible study. I've bought you the book, and here's how we're gonna do it. I'm gonna do it with you at night, and then whenever I go and go to this women's group, we're gonna talk about your questions, and anything, they'll come back, and they'll come back and talk to you about it, and we'll just broker me through these conversations. And I said, okay, because it's pointless to argue with my wife anyway. And I did what she told me. And we started doing this Bible study called Experiencing God by Blackaby. If anyone's out, see a bunch of nods. Some of you people have done this before. And this study was a very simple study, and it got me learning how to hear from God. It helped me find that Bible that had been put aside for 10 plus years. It got us going back to church, hearing God's word, understanding the importance of being with God's people. And little by little, I started to better understand God. I started to experience God in my life. And the thing I remember most was not the study itself. The thing I remember most about this time is how God used his people to disrupt my story and lead me into his. Those women in that Bible study, I, I, I could not tell you any of their names. 
and I have never met them in my life. But those women would send me notes of encouragement and they would tell me that they were praying for me and they'd tell me to keep it up and they'd put their arms around my wife and encourage her. Women in our church, engaging in women's ministry in our church, putting your arms around these young wives who are at their wits end with their husband, thank you for what you do. You have no idea what God does through you. I remember God using those women and he softened my heart. Months go on where we're doing this and one night Kim and I are having a date and we decide, we, we both, we're sitting there talking and we, we just feel like God's gonna ask us to do something big. We're hearing from him, we're praying more, he's gonna ask us to do something big. And we just commit it, both of us right then, we said whatever it is, we're gonna say yes to it. The next day I go to my office, my boss calls me in, he says, hey Blake, uh, we want you to take a two-year assignment to go work for the CFO of our company in Melbourne, Australia. And I'm like, that's it. This is what God wants us to do. God wants the Bassins to take the gospel to the outback, I guess. <laughs> I was convinced that God had us on this trajectory that we are gonna go do these great works for him. And I was super excited about this job. This was a job that everybody wanted in the company. You're gonna go working directly for the C-suite executives. If you did well, your career was set for life. This was the best of the best I could ask for. And so we sold all of our stuff, we sold our house, we moved to Australia, we saw kangaroos, it was great. Uh, this is a picture of my kids and the kangaroos, I think this was the first week we were there. Uh, we had a great time in Australia and I was ready to get after it. Go serve God, do whatever it was he was asking us to do. Uh, but we found our time in Australia was not meant for me to go do great things. Our time was for God to teach me to be still and to humble me. We found this little church right across the street from our, my office. It was a dying little church. Our kids made up 100% of the kids program at the church. <laughs> there was this sweet old lady who would take the kids out and go feed them cookies and let them watch VeggieTales and they would be all sugared up by the time we picked them up. And I went and I talked to one of the pastors, a man named Richard O'Brien there, and I said, all right, I'm ready to get after it, let's go, you know, what can I do? And he said, how about you just come and spend time with me? And so on Wednesday mornings, I would go into his office and sit with a few other older men, and they would faithfully explain God's word to me. We would work through this book every week called Knowing God by J.I. Packer, line by line. When I joined this little group, they had been studying this book for six years. So line by line, we worked through this book, and those men helped me understand God. Nine months into this time, or about a year into our time in Australia, uh, something happened. Uh, I was helping orchestrate a large restructuring project in our company, which what that, that's corporate speak for meaning I was laying a bunch of people off. And my job was safe, but we were laying off a large percentage of the workforce. And the way the company worked was every three, four years, you would move to another country. And so I had people that we were laying off who had lived in four or five different countries with this company. And we'd always ask them the same question. We'd say, hey, where's home? We'll send you home. And I remember going back and talking to Kim one night and saying, hey, in 10 years, if, I'm living, if we're living in Singapore or Chile or London and we get laid off and they say, hey, it's time to go home. I was like, where do we tell them home is? I was like, I grew up in Kentucky, you grew up in Tennessee, we lived in Oklahoma for seven years, we were in Texas for 10 years, now we're in Australia. I have no idea where home is. That was the weirdest feeling. And so we decided to pick a place in the world and call it home, and we picked this little place called Edmond, Oklahoma. 
And the reason we picked it was because Kim's sister and her brother lived here. And we thought that was a good enough reason. So we bought a house without ever seeing it. Kim and the kids actually left me in Australia and moved to America to get the house set up and let the kids spend time with family before we would all meet back wherever it was in the world that I got sent to next. And so I spent a year in Australia being humbled by God. I remember the second day that I was there alone, I picked up my Bible and I decided to do something that seemed like a radical idea to me at the time. I decided to read it cover to cover. It, it seems like, I mean, has anyone actually, have you ever thought about, should I just read the Bible? I just read the whole thing. And as I read it, I realized that God was so much greater than I understood. And with every question I had, my pastor there would take me aside and help lead me back and help me understand what it was that I was reading. God was greater than I understood, but he kept teaching me the same lesson over and over. He kept saying, humble yourself, Blake, you are not God. Trust in my ways, my ways are not your ways, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Be still, Blake, know that I am God, you are not. You need to trust me. Every book of the Bible was telling me that lesson. Nine months into this, my wife came and visited me in Australia. And I gotta say, when she came and visited me, I was broken. I had never been lonely before in my life. I had never gone to church alone before. I now understand how hard that can be for people, and we're so glad you're here. If you were here by yourself, you are not alone. I had never done these things, and I was broken, and I was humbled. And when Kim was leaving after a week spending time with me, I was just so sad that she was leaving. I'll never forget the look of her suitcases being packed. And after she got back on the plane and left, I just missed her, and I missed my kids. I hadn't seen them in months. And in a moment of weakness, I decided I would do anything just to be with my kids. And I opened up my phone, and I was like, are there any interesting finance jobs in Oklahoma City? And as soon as I did it, I said, why am I doing that? And I turned my phone off, because I would be stupid. I would be stupid to have left my job. The job I had was incredible. I was making, I'm not saying this to be arrogant, I was making a lot of money. And not only was I making a lot of money, I was about to make ridiculous money. And I loved my job, I loved my company. I'll tell you how much I love my company. I loved everything I did so much, I loved it almost as much as watching Lincoln Riley get kicked last night. <laughs> Amen. That's how much I love my job. So I would be stupid to leave it. But as I turned off my phone, there was one job that was at the top of that list that I couldn't get out of my head. It was the only job I saw, the only one I looked at, and it was Director of Finance and Administration at Crossings Community Church in Oklahoma City. And I couldn't get it out of my head. I kept thinking about it all night. And the next morning, I kept thinking about it. And see, I knew something about this church. I knew something about this church because how God had used the people of this church to disrupt the stories of my family's life. You see, Kim's family came to this church. Her little brother and her little sister, Kelsey, had always come here. And I remember that when Kim was six months pregnant with our twins, we were living in Houston, Kim's mom passed away from breast cancer. And Kelsey, her little sister, who was a teenager at the time, was home alone when her mom passed away. And we couldn't be there, because we were in Houston. It took us a long time to get here, but I remember hearing the stories of this student pastor at the time, a man named Andy Roshkob, and how he rushed to be at her side. And then I remember getting there and being with the family, and I remember this pastor named Lance Ward coming over to our house and just comforting us in our time of grief. 
I remember him officiating an incredible service. And then I remember meeting this man named Randy Webb, who's been a longtime elder of this church. And I met this man named Randy Webb because he had just officiated Kelsey and her husband Michael's wedding. And he officiated because of how important he was in their life. And the reason he was so important is because he had been Michael's small group leader here in student ministry all through high school. And when Kelsey lost her mom, he just took care of her too. And he still does to this day. That is what I knew of crossings. Kim and the kids had also been going here for the year there back in, in the States, even though I had told her not to. I said, she, she said, hey, we're gonna start going to crossings. I was like, isn't that that big church up on Portland? She goes, yeah. I go, don't go there. I bet the church is so big, I doubt they even teach the Bible. As Marty says, God has a sense of humor. But I knew something about this church because how God had used the people of this church to love my family. And so I prayed about it and I prayed about it and I reached out to Crossings and I said, when I'm in America, can I just come by and talk to you? And I came by and I talked and I met a man named David Gibson and then in walked Terry Fakes and Marty Grubbs. And they did something I've never had happen to me in a discussion about jobs before. They prayed for me. And they said, Blake, it seems like God's doing something in your life. We don't know what it is, but I think you need to go back to Australia and pray. And so that I did. I went back for three months and I prayed in Australia. Day by day, I prayed and I said, God, are you really asking me to leave this great job and all this money and everything that I love? Are you asking me to leave this? And I hoped that there'd be this burning bush that would appear. <laughs> and it would say, Blake, I want you to stay with your company and make millions of dollars and travel the world. That's what I hoped. But every single day, I became more and more convinced that God was saying, I've been preparing you to trust me. Remember, Blake, you're not God. My ways are greater than your ways, Blake. Humble yourself. Know that I am God and you are not. I need you to leave this and come here. Well, I thought to myself, surely my wife will not agree to this. That'll be my out. And so I called Kim and she goes, no, if you think God's in this, I trust you. I'm willing to give it all up. Let's go. It's like, darn. So that, that was... <laughs> Then I thought to myself, well, surely Crossings is not foolish enough to hire a guy from Australia to come here and do this. And then Crossings called and they offered me the job. So they said I had to come back and interview with the elders of the church since it's a leadership position in our church. And so before I got on a plane to come back, I thought to myself, I need to know, am I gonna do this or not? And I was walking to my church that Sunday and I said, God, you need to speak to me. And if you're not clear, I'm not doing this. I'm not doing it. And so I, I went into that church and I could go into all the details, but let me just say, it was very clear that God was telling me to leave this and to come here. And as I sat in the church pews that day, I kept telling him no. I kept saying no. And then these words of Christ came to my mind. It says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, if you do not do what I say? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, if you do not do what I say? You see, a Christian, one who follows Christ, gives everything. We give it all to him. Not just a bit to him. We give it all to him. We trust him with everything. And if I was not gonna trust him with something as simple as leave this and come here, I was no longer gonna be a Christian. I had to make a decision that day, not was I gonna take a job in Oklahoma City, 
but was I going to truly make Christ Lord of my life? Why will you call me Lord, Lord, if you do not do what I say? It's been seven years since I left there and came here. Seven years. And I can't tell you this story without just saying thank you. Thank you. You have trusted me to become a pastor here, which I did not see that coming. You have trusted my wife. So many of you have trusted my wife with your kids and your grandkids across the parking lot at Crossings Christian School. You have trusted us in some of your darkest of moments. I just wanna say thank you. Thank you for also raising our children, by the way. I don't even know where they are half the time. They're with one of you. But thank you. I am so mad at myself at times thinking that I almost forsake all of this because of something as foolish as money. And I'm so thankful that God brought me here to you where you continue to disrupt the story of my life and my family's life to lead us deeper and deeper into his story. Well, as you leave here today, I fear there's two options of how you can apply this story that you've heard. I think we can all agree I want you to see all of how God used his people to interrupt our story, right? How he always used his people. We can all agree that as we spend time with God's people, he will do something with us. You saw it in that video just a little bit ago. As we spend time with God's people, he does a great work in us. So there's two options of how you can walk out of here and apply this message. Option one is you can all do what I did. You can quit your jobs tomorrow and become a vocational pastor. Based on the body language in the room, I'm assuming you wanna hear option two? Okay, but before I tell you option two, you have to do one of these two options. I need everybody to nod right now saying you're gonna do one of these two options. You already know what option one is. Option two, we do something radical here at Crossings. We do this thing where we gather together in these smaller rooms and we share God's word together and we pray for each other and we encourage each other and we carry out Hebrews 10, 23 through 25, and we call it Sunday school. I want everyone here to become a part of Sunday school. It is such a great opportunity to spend time with God's people and to allow him to use his people to disrupt your stories and lead you into his story. One of my favorite Sunday school classes that I ever get to substitute teach, I do a lot of that around here, is Norma Townsend's Sunday school class. And you saw Norma last week in a video, and I love Norma's class, because when I come in there, there is such evidence of how God has been working through them for decades. There's a group of people that have been together for so long. Norma once introduced her class to me as the class that used to be the young marrieds class at Crossings. <laughs> but I've seen them stay together, and they attended the funerals, of their parents together. They've attended the funerals of their spouses together, sometimes of their kids and grandkids. They've shared God's word for decades, and I've seen God do the most remarkable things through those people. And every time I go in there and I see a group of people who've grown together in faith over the years, I always think to myself, that's what I want. That's what I want. And it's what I want for you too. And across all of our locations, this thing called Sunday School is something we believe in so much. We believe in it so much that part of the Voice of Hope initiative is we're building Sunday School classes at Edmond. 
We're gonna build them at East Edmond. And one of the things we're so excited about Mayfair is that there'll be all kinds of Sunday school classes there too. We all have the opportunity each and every week to be with God's people and watch him use his people to do the most remarkable things in our story. Option one's always on the table for you if you don't choose option two. I pray you will all choose option two. Let me pray for us. Oh Lord, I thank you that my story is not my story, it's yours. And I thank you for all those people you put in it along the way. I thank you for using my wife, for using those women in that little church, for using Richard O'Brien in Australia and those men who came alongside me. I thank you for the pastors and the people of Crossings that you used to serve my family that made me want you here. I thank you for everyone here who has poured into me and my family for these last seven years. And I give thanks for all the work you're doing that I don't see. I ask that you would make a way for everybody here to have the loving community that you seek for us. And may you do with it things that we could not believe. We love you, Lord, and we trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen.